I trust that time of worship was encouraging to you guys, and I'm so glad to be back home from vacation. It was so much fun. It wasn't quite relaxing with all of the kids that we had around us all the time. We had some family members and some friends' kids with us too. It was a ton of fun, and we got to do some fun things. I want to show you just a couple pictures of the things we got to do. We went on some really cool hikes together as a family. That's my son Anthony there on the hiking trail. This is Odessa jumping off of a rock down into the water in Georgia. This is us at a lake house where we were just swimming almost every single day, and, and we had an amazing time. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, where you have a feeling after something that seems like the feeling is wrong given the circumstances. Like, if someone's laughing during a funeral, that doesn't usually match up to what you're supposed to be feeling or doing or expressing. Or, or like, if someone's crying at a party, you know, it's my party, I can cry if I want to. Like, th th those feelings don't really match the circumstances. I know coming home from vacation, there's a feeling of, man, I should feel relaxed, but I feel exhausted. And, and there's just this weird thing that happens to us sometimes. Sometimes we feel like our feelings aren't matching up to how they're supposed to feel. And, it, you know, it, it's okay, vacation, it goes that way sometimes, and that's not really what it's about, but it just, it reminds me of the topic we're diving in today, because sometimes it feels like, given my circumstances, given what's happening in my life, I just don't feel like I should be feeling this way. That, that whole concept is what we're talking about today. Because today we're, we're going to dive into a topic that, the Christian church needs to do a better job of addressing more often, and, and that, that's mental health and specifically depression. Now look, I know you're like, I came to church to get encouraged today, and you're going to talk about depression? Well, I just want you to know it needs to be talked about, and I believe this is going to encourage you. I believe this is going to help you, and for some people, man, this is going to feel like the breath of life that they've needed, and if this isn't specific to how you're feeling right now, I want you to pay attention because you might need this later and even if it's not you, I can guarantee you someone that you're connected to needs this wisdom coming from you into their life. We need to know how to speak into these issues because first of all, it's throughout the course of scripture. Like I want to read you a couple examples from scripture about depression and heartache and this difficult feeling that we have to work through. From the prophet Jonah, he spoke this way in Jonah 4.3. He said, now, O Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. King David, I mean, he wrote about his depression throughout the Psalms and his difficulties in his trials. And he wrote about it in Samuel. And he, he said in Psalm 38, 4, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Maybe you're feeling that. Maybe some, of the, some people are feeling that today that there just feels like a burden that's too heavy for them to bear right now. Job wrote about it this way. He's in chapter 10, verse 1, he said, I'm disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days with shame? Jesus, be, before he went to the cross in Mark 14, 34, he said, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. The book of Lamentations is an entire book about talking about the, the anguish that's happening in Jeremiah's heart and the grief and the difficulty. And, and I know you're like, I am so excited I dialed into church today for this. There, there, there is hope. But I want to start at this point where you recognize that throughout the scope of Scripture, 
from the Old Testament to the New, we see examples where God's people who, who were doing as best they could to honor God in their life, they walked through legitimately difficult times, incredibly difficult times. And there is this presupposition, there's this notion within our heads sometimes that says, if I believe in Christ, if I'm following Christ, then I should be exempt from this difficulty. And I want to tell you straightforward, that is not biblical. It's just not biblical. You will not be exempt from difficulty. And so right now, if you've been walking through it and you've heard this voice that says, God must have forgotten about you because you feel this way. I want you to dial your eyes into scripture and look at King David. Look at the prophet Jeremiah. Look at Jesus himself who described his heart as breaking and recognize God has not left you. But I also believe God will not leave you where you are. We're going to go to the book of Lamentations in chapter 3, verse 17, and we're going to start right here. And I want you to see, as Jeremiah is just pouring his heart out and his experience here, and he talks about his difficulty. And he says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Now, this isn't just a description of having young children or young girls in your house, being deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. That's not what this is. This is his life. He has a feeling that peace is gone. And man, in our times right now, I would say this is echoing through the heart of so many people where, where they are asking, why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? Why is everything difficult? Where did this sense of peace go. And I want you to know, Jeremiah is saying, this is how he feels. And I want to start in this place because I want you to recognize that God desires honesty from you. In your prayers, if your heart is breaking, tell him about it. If you feel like you have lost your sense of peace and trust, talk to him about it. Because I believe that's one of the beginning steps of healing is when we, we begin to be honest with God about the way that we feel. And Jeremiah is saying, I have been deprived of peace. My peace has been taken away. I have forgotten what prosperity is. And let's go to the next passage. It says, so I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. Now, I know you were just thinking to yourself the other day, man, it feels like my splendor is gone. Like, I need to find a way to get my splendor back. Uh, Jeremiah is saying all of the, the good things, all of the expectations of blessing, all of the things that he had hoped from the Lord, they feel like they have been taken away. Man, <laughs> this feels like, and it's the amazing timeless thing about scripture, it feels like it's just written into what we're experiencing today. My, my hope for my finances, my hope for the, the extra blessings that, that were in my life of having those, they all feel like they've gone away. And we'll go into the next passage, into verse 19, and he continues to explain the way that he feels. And he says, I remember my affliction and my wondering and the bitterness and the gall. This is what's on his mind. This is what he's thinking about. This is what he's remembering. And into verse 20, it says, I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. It's amazing how accurately the mind can store up the memories of difficulty and suffering and pain. It, high school might have been 30 years ago, but you can remember when that person said to you, and you can just fill in the blank. 
You can remember when that trusted family member criticized you and cut you down, and it comes right clear as day. You can remember them well. All of these sufferings, it's like they, they can fill our mind quickly, but then Jeremiah takes a turn in the next verse, and let's, let's look at this, and he says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now he's going to get to it in a second, but I want you to see, it's almost as if there's a call that has to be made. It's like, I remember these sufferings, these difficulties, these pains, these afflictions. I remember them really well. But in the midst of those memories, in the midst of the things that are destructive in my mind, the things that, that draw me further away from God, of, of not trusting him, not thinking that there's any hope, in that moment where I have those things present in my memories, I interrupt them with a call in my mind. Like, like who are you going to call Ghostbusters style? Like, who are you going to bring into this situation to change the direction? And this, and he says, and therefore I have hope. And in verse 22, he tells you what he's calling to mind. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. And I want you to see the comparison of the Lord's compassion against his experiences of difficulty and affliction and pain that he puts them up against each other. And this might be sensitive because some of your pain is great. And I recognize that. And I'm not arguing about how difficult your pain is compared to mine or to anyone else's. But I wanna tell you, when you have an accurate picture of God's compassion, when you have an accurate picture of God's love, and you compare your suffering to God's love, you recognize that God's love is abundantly greater, that it exceeds, that it abounds beyond anything else. And so when I call to mind the truth about how compassionate my heavenly father is, when I call to mind the truth about how forgiving and loving and gracious he is, it puts my suffering into its place. And it helps rebalance my life in my mind. What you call to mind, it matters because the things that you fill up your mind, they fill up your heart and the things that fill up your heart, they come out of your lips. And this is the truth, that when you decide to take control and rather than be dragged around by the where your mind is going, you begin to give your life better direction. When you say, okay, I, I today, I feel down, I feel depressed, I feel hopeless, I am going to call to mind the truths about God. And when I renew my mind, when I fill my mind with the truths of God, it begins to make its way into my heart and how I feel. And once it's set in my heart and how I'm feeling in the day, it changes my actions and my reactions to the people around me. But listen, it feels like, man, it's such a hard jump to make when I'm feeling down to begin to fill my mind with things that point me to God. The jump isn't hard, the decision is hard. It's easy once you've decided, but it really just comes, it's like you don't have to move far, you just have to make that quick decision and the information is so accessible. You can hop onto Gulfside Church and watch a sermon from any time. You can hop on YouTube and watch a sermon from anywhere. You can grab Spotify or YouTube and watch praise songs from anywhere in the world that will lift up your heart and all it takes is that simple decision that I'm gonna do this and then you get it playing, and then God begins to move. And man, this is what I see all the time. When I take one step forward in obedience to what God is asking me to do, to, when I take one step forward in obedience of trying to change my situation in a way that it honors God, 
God meets me as soon as I start to move. And I might feel like I can never cross over. I can never get out of the slump that I'm in today. But as soon as I begin to take that first step, God meets me there. And I know that he will do the same for you because he is faithful. I know that he will do the same for you because he loves you. That despite your history, despite your past mistakes, God will meet you where you are, no matter how low the low has been. And he will meet you there, but you've got to decide. Decide to take action. And I find this really interesting uh, about the way that uh, Jeremiah is writing about this, because as he goes into verse 23, he he writes this, which is beautiful, and he says, these mercies, this grace, they, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now the complainer in me wants to look at this passage and it wants to complain about the fact of God, why are they new every morning? Why can't I just decide to get it right once and then that be good enough for a few months or a few weeks or a few mornings? Why is it that in scripture it talks about mercies and love being new every morning? Why can't I just get it right on Sunday and then that carry me through the week? But I want to tell you one of the reasons that we see that is because God doesn't want a check-in relationship with you. He wants a close relationship with you. He wants a relationship where you are walking with him every day. And so what he says is, I haven't even promised you two days. You have no promise of another day within scripture. But what you do have promised in the mornings that you have, there is new mercies and grace for you to navigate that day. And God wants you to figure out, how do I live for for him that day, in this time, in these opportunities, and not be so focused on tomorrow? There's so many questions about what will happen in the weeks, in the months, in the years ahead. And we want to be diligent stewards who are prepared for what's ahead. But what James tells us is we're not not to worry about that, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. We we are like a morning mist, a vapor that is here one second and gone the next. And so in this day, we have to grab a hold of our situation. We have to call the information to mind that needs to be filling our mind. And and psychologists, they they talk about this and they talk about positive self-talk and scripture teaches us this as well. I mean, it's just one of these truths that work, that what we fill our mind with will affect our moods. But the difficulty is that even to begin to address this topic, it, it just... It feels awkward in our culture for some reason. It feels awkward within the church to acknowledge that there are people who are depressed because there's a sense that I should walk into church and say, man, everything is just always great and I'm always so happy. But the reality is we are often walking through troubles and there is a stigma attached to depression. And I want to once again, because I know this isn't the first time that I've told you you've been around Gulfside for a while, but I want to once again tell you It's okay to be in a struggle. It's okay to have things going on, but it's just not okay to be going through it by yourself. So I want to talk about some things about depression. In fact, I'm going to try to unteach you some things today because there's some things that you've been taught, I believe, by the general culture of the church, and I want to unteach you some things today. And we're going to unteach you three misconceptions about depression. And the first one that this might seem so basic, but it's where we have to start. There's this misconception that depression is not real. And as we showed you in scripture, we have time and time again from different leaders, and I can take you from Moses all the way to Jesus to the Apostle Paul of leaders who went through depression. And there's this misconception in the church that depression is not a real thing. 
We see it in scripture. We see it in our life when we're honest. We definitely see in the life of other people around us, and it has a spiritual impact on us. It has an emotional impact on us, and it has a physical impact on us. Scientists are able to see within the brain when someone is dealing with depression, the way that it is changing the pathways and their thought patterns, and it has a physical, biological effect. There's no question, there's no doubt the depression is real, and the depression is destructive. Pastors are not immune to this. A pastor not too many years older than me, just a few months ago, was struggling with depression, and he took his life. And he tried to speak out about it some. He sought help at different times, but eventually this sickness took him from us. And I want you to know that if you're struggling, you've got to let someone know because depression is real, but depression is not going to have victory over you. Depression is not something that is able to overpower you if you let other people in. But if you try to fight this by yourself, We've seen destructive track records for that. And so if you just think, okay, this is just a mood I'm trying to get out of. If, if you think, I've been dealing with this for three months, six months, and you're gonna try to do it on your own, I wanna tell you depression is real. And it's okay to bring people in, and it's okay to get help, because this is a real sickness. We don't have any stigma when someone gets a cold that they go to the doctor to get help, and there shouldn't be any stigma if there's something going on in your mental health that you go and get help from that from a doctor and from church and from friends and other people. Allow yourself to go through your situation without shame, without fear. The second misconception that I wanna make sure that you guys understand we have to fight against is, is this thought goes throughout some churches of depression will go away if you pray hard enough or have enough faith. Now before you start to write me an email, I wanna tell you, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that prayer can make the sick person whole. I believe that prayer can bring the dead back from the life. I, I've seen prayer do incredible things. I have seen faith do incredible things. But the fact is, our Christian faith is not just a cognitive thought experiment, but when we are, are moved by our faith, we aren't just moved to a mental belief, we're moved to action. And time and time again, the way that we have seen God work is that when someone is believing and praying in faith that God is going to do a change in their life, they're not sitting idly by, but God expects and calls them to take steps of obedience. And so when you begin to pray against depression in your life, I believe you will also sense a call to action in your heart to move out and begin healthy behaviors that pull you out of that depression. It's not just about a, a, a faith that stays passive. And prayer, it will do incredible things. And I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to not pray about it. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it is not just prayer. It is not just faith. But there is so much more to healing and depression than just those two things. And logic and scripture teaches us this. We are called to not forsake the gathering together of each other because each person is like a body part is what scripture teaches us. And when one piece is missing, the whole thing suffers. And in fact, the piece that's missing, it suffers the most. You need to be in community with other people. And I think one of the most destructive aspects of depression is the way that it sets into isolation. 
And when you begin to believe that you're alone, when you begin to believe that no one else feels this way, when you begin to believe that no one else cares about you, I believe that's when depression becomes the most destructive. And if, you're, and if I'm speaking about these things, and maybe it's applying to you, or maybe there's someone close to you that it's like, I, I think I'm seeing this in them. They need your love and your care and your encouragement in a very significant way. Depression, it's not just prayed away. It's not just believed away. But there are actual actions that we need to take to, to experience victory over it. The third misconception that I want to make sure that you understand is something, it's a view that has to be changed. Number three is that depression is punishment from God for unconfessed sin. Now this usually isn't someone, something that someone would say to you, but for some reason it's, it's something that we arrive at in our own heads that, that if I hadn't done that, then I wouldn't be feeling this way. And I, I want to tell you clearly that the Holy Spirit provides conviction for sin in our life. That, that if there is something that is destructive that we're allowing to happen, the Holy Spirit will push on our heart, but he never pushes us to isolation. He never pushes us to loneliness. He never pushes us to shame. Conviction pushes us towards action of correction. Repentance is not just a belief. It's not just something mental, but repentance is turning directions in your life. And so when we see God correcting sin in our life, it calls us to action, not depression and isolation. And so this belief that depression is punishment from God for unconfessed sin, it's not scriptural. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, there is a blind man, and the people around ask Jesus this question. Was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be blind? This whole concept of sickness or struggle or pain being punishment from God, it's been around for a long time. And Jesus looked at him and said, it's not from any of their sins, but it's going to be used to display the grace of God. And this is a truth that you need to grab a hold of. That, that this depression isn't from God. This isn't what he wants from, for me. This isn't what he wants to stay in my life. But this depression can be used to honor God. That through this season of struggle, I will cling to him and I will be a witness and his testimony to other people walking through difficulty about how to navigate it. And it will also be something that as I come out of it, I'm going to be singing his praises and letting people know that Jesus will carry you through that. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are tired and weary and, and lay down your burdens. He calls us to him with difficulty. He says, I understand you have heavy things on you and you feel weighed down. Come to me that way and you will find rest here. Jesus doesn't want you to fix yourself and then come to him. He says, come as you are and I will remove those from you. I can't really tell you how depression got into your life. If it was through sickness, someone else's mistakes that impacted you or, or choices that you made. But I can tell you how it can end, that God can use it for his glory. That he can heal you from it and that he can walk you out of it. But that isn't going to happen in isolation. It's going to happen in the community of the church. What James tells us is as we confess our sins and our difficulties to each other, we will experience healing. It happens in relationships. And the truth is depression, when we fall into it, we can get into it through really different circumstances. I mean, sometimes it's like we go through one of the best moments of our life. Sometimes it's the first kid or success at a job. We go through the best moments and for some reason after that best moment, it just feels like our emotions fell off a cliff. I mean, in the life of Elijah, who, who performed one of the greatest miracles we see in scripture, 
I mean, it was like this epic movie moment. He had this face-off with prophets of Baal who, who were worshiping false gods and, and doing despicable things to the people. And, and they were supposed to provide an offering and fire was supposed to fall from heaven if their God was true. And, and they did. And he mocked them as they were trying to make it happen and nothing happened. And then it was his turn. I mean, it was this epic, beautiful moment. It was his turn. And he said, pour water on my sacrifice, pour water on the wood, pour water around it and everything so that it's impossible for it to catch on fire. And then he stepped back and prayed and fire fell from heaven and there's the epic battle and they killed them all with swords. And it was one of the greatest victories we see in scripture. And do you want to know what happened next? He felt like his life should be over. I mean, I want to read you this passage in 1 Kings 19.4. This is after the huge, amazing victory. It says, Then Elijah went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have died already. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. (laughs) Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So the biblical prescription for stress, I first of all want to say from this passage, is to take a nap, eat a snack, take a nap and eat a snack. That is some God-given direction that I often want for my life. But but to just tell you the experience, to just go back to the experience of what Elijah was feeling, and this is going to connect with some of you guys' hearts and what you're feeling. You might have just gone through one of the best moments of your life, but you may not understand why you feel so down and so depressed. And you're not the only one to feel that way. Sometimes we, we reach the depression through a, a means that we don't even understand. How did we get here? Uh, sometimes it comes after a huge mistake where we just feel at our lowest. I mean, it reminds me of the prodigal son uh, that Jesus told this parable uh, of a son who went to his father and he said, Dad, I want, I want my inheritance now. As if you were dead, like I don't even care. Just give me what is mine so I can go and enjoy it and live my life without you. And the father gave it to him and the son went and squandered it on wild living and partying until there was nothing left. And when there's nothing left, there were no friends left. And he was forced to live in this despicable way where he was feeding pigs. And it would have been something that a young Jewish boy would have found completely disgusting to do. And as he was doing it, he looked at the food he was giving to the pigs and he said, I wish I could eat that. I'm so hungry. And he had this moment where he came to his senses. And in verse 17, It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. Now, do you know how far this son was from his father's house. I mean, the parable says it was a long ways off, that there was, you know, burned bridges and broken relationships that he would have to cross to get back home. In our mind, it was probably a far distance, but I want to tell you, and we'll put it on the screen this way. Because you know what? 
the distance was easy enough to travel. The words, probably easy enough to say. But just like depression, I think the decision is the hardest point. The decision that I'm gonna bring this out into the open, that whether it was one of my best moments of my life, one of my worst mistakes that brought me to this point, that there's just one decision that we have to make and we know that that will lead us back to home. And and the passage talks about this young boy returning home. And I wonder, when I ask you, what was home like? What comes to mind? Like when you lived inside of a place where there was walls and a roof around you, but there was not yet walls up in your heart, you did not have to feel guarded yet, where you still felt safe. And, And I say, where was home for you? Most of us can think of that place. And the way that you felt safe there, I want to tell you that when we make that decision to allow God to begin to work in our depression, our anxiety, when we talk about healing and wholeness, that that feeling of of home is what we're talking about getting back to. That feeling where I went through something that was difficult and serious, but God has brought me out of it, God has brought me through it, and God has healed me in a way where I'm no longer hurting from that brokenness. I want to tell you, you can get back to that point. You can get back to that feeling of at home. And you don't have to go a real long way. It really just happens with a decision. But when you really make that decision, there are steps that you have to take. But in my experience, it's not the walking. It's the choice. And so uh, as I speak to you today, what is it that God is talking to you about? Is there an unresolved conflict that is still wrenching your heart? Has there been hidden depression and pain that you know is there and it's what keeps you from feeling like you have the peace that you should. If it is there, my heart's desire is for you to experience healing in that. But the way that you find that healing is when you decide, I'm not going to hide this anymore. That I've been hurting and I've been keeping it from other people. And as one of my, my friends who's a pastor says, It's okay to have a secret. You just can't be the only one who knows about it. And that's when healing starts. When we do the things that scripture calls us to do. So church, you today, what do you need to bring out to the open for God to deal with? It might mean that you need to message a friend that you trust. It might mean that you need to message the pastoral staff here at Gulfside. We would love to talk with you and walk with you through whatever's ahead. But I think it's time for God's people to stop hiding. I think it's time to bring what's been hurting out into the open so we can experience healing.